Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So we're in 1 Peter. We have been talking, or specifically Peter has been talking the last chapter and a half, starting in uh, verse verse 11 of the second chapter. He's been talking about standing strong as an example before men. And so I've told you guys repetitively, and I intend to keep doing so, because I want you to understand the context of the book. When we understand who's being written to, why they're being written to, what's going on in their life, everything changes, right? You guys ever made a judgment call based on what somebody said but they had no idea where they were coming from? Of course, we all do that. Somebody will say something, be man, I don't agree with that, but we have no context as to what they're talking about. Same thing happens in Scripture. When we don't understand the context in which the Scripture was written, the environment, the audience that it was written to, we're listening to things and listening to them completely out of context and drawing inference from the conversation that we don't really know the background for, which causes us to shade the Scripture wrongly. And so 1 Peter, or any conversation for that matter, so 1 Peter was written to resident aliens, as you guys know, and, and please just give me this grace because I, I'm going to assume that somebody missed it or didn't know was written to alien residents, people that were scattered throughout by persecution, by a government that was legitimately trying to kill them, by religion that was legitimately trying to kill them. Not a, not a conspiracy theorist or even a theorist or even a solid foundational understanding that they were going to try to kill them, but were actively killing them, lighting them on fire for fun, killing them. This is the audience that Peter's talking to. And so when we recognize that, we recognize that in this, he is telling them one primary point. Stand strong in your faith. Can I tell you right now, stand strong in your faith is the most important message that I can give you short of the gospel message, the the crucifixion message. Jesus died for you. So stand strong in it. And this is exactly what he does. He breaks this text up into three sections. The first section is stand strong because you belong to Christ, because of what Christ did. Christ died, crawled upon the cross, sacrificed himself. And because he was willing to stand strong, we should stand strong as an example of him. Because to be Christian is to act like Christ. It's literally what Christian means. And so not only are we supposed to stand strong because of who we are, which is Christians, because Christ gave us the ability to be called such, but in the second part of 1 Peter, which is the starts in verse 11 of chapter 2 and moves through 4-7, he's talking about, Standing strong as a witness, which is where we're all right now, as an example before men. I have been disgusted. And there's no other way to say it. Not at you guys, just in general. Are we on Facebook Live tonight? Okay. 
so everybody knows where I'm coming from. I have been disgusted at the response of some people that call themselves Christians to people that are not Christian. And then you wonder why they don't act like Christians. Because if you're the only example that they have, why would they, dis why would they want to be you? If there's no difference between us and them, why would they want to be us? Why wouldn't they want to be them? Everything that we do, everything that we say, every action that we take is a reflection of the God who died on the cross to save you to a lost and unknown dying world. And we're trying to kick dogs for being dogs. And what I mean by that, they don't know that they don't know. Their nature is to be dead in their sin. That's what the scripture says. They were dead in their trespasses. We we're dead in our trespasses. There's things that I've done that I was ignorant to spiritually. I'll tell you just as plain as I can tell you. Before I got saved, marriage certificate meant nothing to me. After I got saved, marriage covenant meant everything to me. The paperwork didn't change. The understanding changed. I was dead but then I got to see. So when we act unbecoming of Christ, and when we don't stand strong as, a, as an example before men, we're telling them not only is this who we are and this is the God that we serve, but that it's okay for you to stay in your dead and dying state. Everybody all right? I'm passionate about this. Because as I told you guys, one of the things that I've, prayed about and praying about it over the last 10 days today's the the end of our fast 10 day fast corporately as a church one of the things i've asked you guys to pray for me about and i hope you remember and that you've been praying is that i have boldness coupled with wisdom because i'm very good at being loud and obnoxious and opinionated pastor rick laughed like, like that was loud man <laughs> and obnoxious but you know what God didn't call me to be any of those things he called me he called me to this desk for the purposes of glorifying his name which can't be done when I act like they act and to not act like they act requires wisdom from us which is God's knowledge God's perspective and God's experience you know why I'm not wrapped up in what's going on in the world today? So much so that it's controlling my every thought and action and word? Because God's knowledge is infinite, and I've asked him for it and asking for wisdom. Because his experience is infinite, and I've asked him for his experience. And his um, perspective, which is the third part of his wisdom, I've asked for He's seen it. He's dealt with it before. And he knew that it would happen today. There's no reason for me to act crazy. Because my God isn't acting crazy. Amen? I know. That, that flies against the patriot in me. But I have to be a Christian first. So this is, and then in the third part, 
now that I've gone completely off the rails on you. The third part, which starts in 4-7, talks about standing strong because Jesus is coming back. You want to know why I'm capable of not going crazy right now? Because the third part's true. Because Jesus is coming back. I believe that. I have literally staked my whole life on that fact. That Jesus, that God sees me now and Jesus is coming back for me. And so if I believe that, if you believe that, if you confess that out of your mouth, that you believe that the word is true, then you have to believe that too. And if that's the case, then eternity is far longer than whatever struggle or strife we're dealing with. Amen? All right. I feel like I could just say, all right, well, let's wrap it up. Well, let's, let's tackle some of this word. I'm going to start today, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read 8 through 12. To sum up, all of you, how many of you? He's talking about Christ, talking to Christians, remember? All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Man, isn't God right on time? <laughs> but given a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 10, he quotes from roughly from Isaiah 34 or Psalms 34 here. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from, seeking, from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. You see the commonality word? You see the common word here? Must. He must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But we serve an if then God, remember. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Man, that's a heavy word. And that's a heavy word for right now. He starts out by saying, to sum this up. What's he summing up? If you've been here at all, you've known the last probably six or eight weeks, we've, we've, we've discussed how, how Peter calls us to be in submission to Christ as an example of Christ. Be in submission to government as an example of Christ. Be in Submission to our husbands, to our wives, to our uh, employers. All of these things. Because in our submission, we mirror or reflect Christ properly. And so he's saying, to sum it up, I'm going to talk about this just a little bit more. You guys ever done that? My wife and I will be having conversation. She hates this. I probably shouldn't even talk about it. I'm going to ask for forgiveness first, which probably don't count. But... <laughs> Uh, so she'll be telling a story, right? And her stories are beautiful. Beautifully detailed. And she wants me to know, man, she wants me to know 
the lady she was talking to, not just her name, not like, oh, hey, me and so-and-so were talking, and this is what she said. It starts with, hey, me and so-and-so, you know, the lady that I work with, that, that we do teleconferencing with, that lives in such and such place in Alabama because she works from home, so she's always on the computer. Uh, well, she, man, she was wearing a, like a green shirt today and had on some, some tan pants and blah, blah, blah. She looks really cute, and she's just telling me all this stuff that to her is very important. Right? And I'm all, what's the thing I do that you hate when you're telling one of these stories? <laughs> so I, I, I go like this. I'm all, yeah, just wrap it up. <laughs> Tell me what you want me to know. And then it ends up being something that I'm, very, I'm actually interested in. But, but what I'm looking for is the summation. I'm not looking for the, I don't care what color her hair is or what direction the wind's blowing. I want the summation. Now, I listen patiently and lovingly and endearingly because I love my bride more than anything on earth. It's me trying to dig myself out of this hole I've dug. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I need a summation. Because quite honestly, my mind has a hard time retaining information that I don't I don't deem as necessary. Peter recognizes this to be true. That people sum up things, that they sometimes need to make a summation of multiple statements to drive a singular point home. And so what point is he making? He's trying to make a point through having said all this, be in submission to this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, this person, so that you might reflect Christ properly. In summation, let me just cut to the meat and potatoes of it and explain to you what that looks like. Let me tell you how to be that. Remember we talked about that this weekend. I could tell you to be righteous, but if I don't show you how to be righteous in the word, then it's not going to help. So he's saying in summation, let me show you how. And then he gives this information. He, he speaks this word by the provocation of the Spirit. And in it, he shows us that submissive people consider others before themselves. Ah, that just that cut that drives me through, man. Drives my flesh. It 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 causes me just ooh, you know, the old you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, the thing I don't even have words for. But it's but it's still necessary that all of us have to choose others over self. And then he gives five virtues of a person that considers others above themselves. And this is the this is the main crux of what I want to tell you today. Well, if I if I have time I'll tell you more stuff, but this is the main crux of what I want to tell you today. We have to be these five things to reflect Christ properly. Both inside and outside the church. When we aren't these things inside the church, the church is fractured, the family is destroyed. When we're not these things outside the church, we reflect God negatively. I did a devotion earlier this week as part of our devotional time talking about being the salt and light. When we're not these things, we don't reflect light properly. 
and we don't stop decay in the room that we're in. Because these are the purposes of light and salt. Salt has one purpose in biblical times, one significant purpose. They may have done other stuff with it, to stop decay. You guys ever walk in a room and people are oh, there's, I know Brother Leonard does, because everybody knows Brother Leonard is a godly man. Pastor Leonard is a godly man. He walks in, and I know somebody's going, Pastor Leonard's in here, especially probably when you worked in the jail. Don't say that, Pastor Leonard's here. You know what that is? That's assaulting. That even just for a short time, because of his presence and the example that he's been, stops the moral decay in the room. When was the last time you stopped the moral decay in your room just by walking into it? That's a challenge, right? But this is how you do that. He said, be harmonious, be sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called to this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. So he starts off with these five virtues. Such a message to society today. He says, be harmonious. You know what that means at its basic level? Stop being so contentious all the time. Stop thinking that what you have to say is the only thing that needs to be said. Pro provoking argumentation for argumentation's sake. And I'm not, I'm not saying stop like you're doing that. I don't know. But I'll tell you, I, if I saw it, I'd tell you. We shouldn't be contentious. We should live in harmony with other people. Again, dogs being dogs, people that are spiritually dead being spiritually dead, what good does it do to yell at them? What good does it do to kick them? There's a reason our philosophy of ministry is what it is. It's on the back of our sweatshirts. Love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. This is harmonious living. Recognizing that we can't save them. But you know what? We could damn ourselves by being unharmonious. By deciding that we're going to argue someone straight to hell. Anybody ever try to do that? Pastor Cacafest to you, I've tried. But all it does is reflects poorly on God. We're called to be harmonious. To live together, to be in agreement. Philippians 2.2 2 says this, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What is your purpose? I'll tell you the purpose of the church is singular. Glorify God. When we're harmonious, when we have the same mind, same love, when we're united in spirit, then we can accomplish that purpose. When we're harmonious, then we can accomplish that purpose to glorify God. Otherwise, people are looking at you or looking at me and saying, oh, that, that, that dude's a Christian. <coughs> and I've, I've been that guy. I'll confess to you. But it's time now to stop. God's called us to bigger things. Not only should we be harmonious, but according to these this text, we should be sympathetic. 
which means we should have the same feelings. We should share in our feelings. Right? I'm not talking about start a campfire and gathering around and being all weird. But what I am talking about <laughs> is to share our feelings, which means also not just our love and unconditional love for one another and for God, but how about sharing our suffering? I, I have come to find that when I'm willing to meet people where they are and sympathize with their need, I have greater audience than if I don't. And it could be something very simple. Angel and I, several years ago, it wasn't all that, I guess it was kind of simple, but we were driving down the road, saw a guy balled up in a ball on the side of the road. We were heading to dinner, man. We had to get to, we had to rush to dinner and get back here in time for service on Wednesday night. So we, like, I'll be honest with you, my flesh is off. Yeah, he's probably all right. We got about half a block down the road. We turned around, checked on him. Something was wrong with him. He ended up, like, heart thing or something. We ended up getting an ambulance, and he went to the ER, gave his life to the Lord in the ER when we talked with him. Why? Because someone was willing to share in his suffering. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you it's contingent upon us where it's necessary that we share in one another's suffering, that we are sympathetic to each other's need. Don't dog somebody because they're not where you are. Recognize their need and help get them to where you are. Because I promise, as haughty and important as we think we are, where we're at on this ladder, wherever that happens to be, someone is above us that we wish would give us a hand up and would consider our feelings, would consider our suffering. And ultimately, Christ did that for us. Amen? Not only sympathetic, but brotherly. To love one another. Just love. Against this, there's no commandment. You can't legislate morality. You know why? Because you can't create love in someone by mandating that they love. You just have to love intentionally. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they smell like. It doesn't matter what their socioeconomic class is or isn't. If you have the most money in this church and you can't see past that to meet the need or to spend time with or even just sympathize in the sufferings of the poorest person in our church, you need to do some evaluation. Because God doesn't look at us according to our flesh, but according to our spirit, is what the word says. And the spirit that I carry, the spirit that every Christian carries, regardless of what they're wearing, is the same spirit. Love one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I did a sermon series on one another's last year or the year before that, but it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another and build up one another, just as, also, just as you also are doing. 
So love means to love them, encourage them, come alongside them, care about them. It doesn't mean open up your Facebook page, look for the first person you disagree with and give them 10 minutes of your business. Which is what we're so compelled to do, right? The world has been conditioned to hate. I had somebody ask me today, is hatred the new American idol? Boy, we chase after hatred more than we chase after almost anything else. We look for reasons to be offended. This is the opposite of love. Praise God, he didn't look for, Jesus didn't look for reasons to be offended. Praise God that Jesus was reviled, he was hated, but hated not. Man, this is, this ain't just a word for y'all, this is a word for me today. Because I'm passionate. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom and give me boldness. Because without both, we're in trouble. Not only brotherly, but kind-hearted. I used the terminology when I actually thought I was going to teach this lesson last week. Uh, praise God, last Wednesday was awesome if you were able to be here and spend that time in worship and prayer with us. But I, I, put, on, I put on Facebook... When was the last time you were inconveniently kind? Not kind. Because let me tell you, it's easy to walk past somebody and be like, hey, buddy, how you doing? But when was the last time you were inconveniently kind? When you decided to uh, interrupt your own schedule or add time to your schedule for no other reason than to find somebody to be kind to? How awesome would it be? And I know everybody thinks the Walmart's half crazy and the Walmart is half crazy. But how awesome would it be if everybody put one hour on their schedule a week, drove to Walmart with no other purpose, not, I ain't looking to buy nothing. I'm just going to walk around there and just everybody I look at and be like, God bless you, man. I hope you're having a good day. That's inconveniently kind. And let me tell you, that's how you change the world. You're not changing the world by talking your opinion on Facebook. That's how you change the world. That's how you create an environment where Christ can be discussed, where the gospel can move forward. There was a man out here today going into the cigarette store. And he, he kind of had a something, you could tell something was wrong with his neck. And I met him at the curb. I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, I'm good. I was like, are you? Because you your neck looks a little jacked up. And I'm thinking, man, I hope his neck's jacked up because I just told him he looks jacked <laughs> up. But I don't always say I'd say the right thing, but I try, right? And he goes, yeah, they just took a, they just took a biopsy. They, they found a lump in my neck, and they just took a biopsy yesterday. And so it's just a little sore. And I said, oh, I had stuff to do. And I stopped. I said, can I pray for you? And in that time, we prayed together. I hugged the guy. He asked me what time our Sunday services are. doesn't matter if he shows up here or not. Somebody showed him Jesus. Somebody was inconveniently kind. You know what I could have yelled about? I could have yelled at him because he parked in a handicapped spot without a handicapped tag on. But inconvenient kindness is better. 
I'll, I'll yell at him next time about the handicap. Not only kind-hearted, but humble. The crazy thing about humility is that none of these other things are possible without it. You would think he would have listed that first, except for he was trying to, I feel like, I, I think he was trying to say, and don't forget humble. Because if you don't ultimately come to a place where you realize that you're less significant than the people that God's placed around you, you're not going to be able to be those things anyway. My favorite Bible verse is, as all of you know, is John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. I say it's such a paradox. I, I think I like that text because it's so paradoxical. Because God must increase, Christ must increase, which is who John the Baptist was talking about. I must decrease, but at the same time I know because I've read my Bible that Jesus is the one that decreased so that I could increase. Isn't that crazy? Because I am better now than I ever could be had he not been willing to stoop and raise me up. And how arrogant a people would we have to be that the creator of the universe be willing to do that and we refuse. That's a, that's a level of arrogance I can't comprehend. But it all starts with an offense. I'm offended by that. Jesus said on the cross, one of the last statements he made on the cross was this. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Think about that for a second. He has been beaten and beaten. His bones are exposed across his back. Every nerve ending is open. He's drugged his own cross. He's had his hands and feet nailed. All the horrific things that happened. He got, he got beat on by somewhere 600 or so men is what a legion is. I've never been slapped or punched in the face more than 15 times probably in a row. But imagine 600 or even half of that. So he's looking through slit eyes if he could see it all. And hanging there, being able to not being able to breathe. The little bit of breath that he can get, he decided to ask for our he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Why do I talk about that? Because I want us to recognize that we've been offended a whole lot less than Jesus was offended. We've been hated a whole lot less than Jesus has been hated. So how about instead of reviling or pushing at or pursuing our own vindication or hoping to find judgment that isn't ours to do. Next time somebody says something or does something that seems crazy to us, to ourselves, not to them, because that would be just as provocative, they forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do.
and then use that as an excuse, as a motivation to love them. Because that's a motivation that Christ used to love us.